And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys had a great weekend. I am back from vacation, back from Tennessee, um, with a great show, a great show today. I hope you guys enjoyed the last episode, episode of 100. Um, Man, uh, I listened back to a little bit of that. Me and Josiah were way more drunk than we thought we were, Um, so I apologize, but I hope you guys enjoyed that. And uh, had a drink with us on the 4th of July. Uh, definitely sober today, though. I'm completely sober today for the episode. And uh, we had a great guest. I had Alexandra DeSanctis from National Review. Um, and it was really a really great chat. Definitely we'll have her back on. Um, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, before we get to Alexandra, uh, I have to say hi to our sponsors over at Premier Vapor. If you smoke and want to quit or if you vape already, you need to check out Premier Vapor at Premier Vapor and Lounge. Dot com. Uh, they have the largest selections of premium e-liquid anywhere in the country. All their stuff is delicious. All their stuff is FDA compliant. Um, any kind of mod, battery, tank, coil, anything you need, check them out. PremierVaporAndLounge.com. If you're in Northwest Ohio, they have physical locations in Holland and Perrysburg, Ohio. So definitely check them out. If not, PremierVaporAndLounge.com. Free shipping on all orders over 35 bucks. You can't beat that. Please follow us on Twitter if you don't already, at NoGimmicksPod. You can follow me, at Brady Leonard. Uh, make sure to subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. If you're on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and a good review. We'd really appreciate that. And uh, two episodes a week, Monday and Wednesday afternoons. They will always be free. The content will always be free. But if you want to get involved, you can check us out, patreon.com slash the Podcast. There's cool incentives if you want to contribute monthly over there. All right. Without further ado, here is my chat with Alexandra DeSanctis. All right, guys, we're here with Alexandra DeSanctis from National Review. Alexandra, thanks so much for taking the time. Great to be here. Absolutely. And uh, everybody check out her work at National Review Online. Last week she wrote a great piece uh, on South Carolina Senator Tim Scott. So if you missed that, um, definitely give that a read. It is a really good read. Um, So let's just jump into the news of the day. Um, it's, you know, the Super Bowl <laughs> today. Uh, President Trump will be announcing his Supreme Court nominee at 9 p.m. I don't know why they couldn't have just done it at 9 a.m. so we could cover it on the podcast, but that's pretty par for the course uh, podcast-wise. Um, the last four contenders, so to speak, are judges Kavanaugh, Kethridge, Hardiman, and Coney Barrett. Um, all four of these judges have been vetted by the Federalist Society and, in my estimation, would make... Um, Great Supreme Court justices. Uh, what do you think of these four uh, contenders, and what do you think is going to happen tonight? You know, that's my read, too. I think any of them would be great. I, I tend to trust the Federalist Society on something like this. I do know right. for sure they're all going to be better than anyone Hillary Clinton would have nominated to the Supreme Court. So I'm pleased about that for sure as well. Um, I think I have a slight preference for Barrett, and that's because, you know, I'll just show my colors here. I went to Notre Dame, and I'd love to see. Uh, a Notre Dame law professor um, and graduate on the Supreme Court. I think it would be a nice change from the usual Ivy League types, and she's obviously eminently qualified. I'd love to see a 
um, a constitutional originalist woman on the court, finally. Um, so I, I guess my, my personal preference would be for Bar- Amy County Barrett. But, um, you know, I, pe- the people that I trust really do seem to think that any of these, um, these choices would be uh, definitely a step up from Kennedy. So I think I'd, I'd be happy with any of them. Right. right. I also like that, that Barrett is, I believe, 45. So, uh, I mean, if we could put a 35-year-old on the Supreme Court, <laughs> you know, keep him there for 60 years, I'd love that. But, um, yeah, she she seems very qualified. And, obviously, we all saw the, the confirmation hearing she was in earlier, uh, or last year, I suppose, um, when she was being confirmed to sit on the Third Circuit. And it was absolutely ridiculous with Dianne Feinstein, the senator from California, basically attacking her for being a Catholic. Um, so that would be fun to watch again, I suppose. Watching no. the left uh, show their oh, true that's colors. Right. She... Yeah, and she showed Barrett showed she really was able to handle it, and um, you know, obviously not to take that criticism lightly, but to you know push back against it in a very measured way. And so I think um, that definitely showed Trump that she can handle these types of really aggressive confirmation hearings, and it would be a thousand times worse, I'm sure, were she to be the nominee. Right, right, and Kethledge and Hardiman don't have as long of, of records to judge, and I know some conservatives are worried because when you when you put somebody on the bench that doesn't have a long record. Uh, there is that risk of them turning into a Justice Kennedy that kind of pivots to the center over time. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm no expert on, on the judiciary, but I haven't really seen much in these guys' records that would lead me to believe they would become a Kennedy. But I, I suppose that is is a concern since they don't have as long a record um, as Kavanaugh or Coney Barrett to judge. You know, I'm, I'm not sure about that. I think that... It- there always is an element of unpredictability here, but I sort of defer to my National Review colleague, David French, who knows a lot about this, a lawyer himself, uh, and he sort of put it last week. He wrote a long piece about Kavanaugh, um, just noting a couple of flaws that he saw in his reasoning in, in his record, um, but he he said that he judged Kethledge to be sort of a, a grand slam home run, whereas he would consider Kavanaugh just a home run, and then he, David said that after having looked through a lot of the available um, opinions that they've both written. So I, 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 I mean, I sort of defer to David French on a lot of this. I trust his judgment. And if he's okay with Kethledge, I'm okay with Kethledge. Right, <laughs> right. I know less about, but he also, uh, I believe he's a Notre Dame grad and his daughter um, was with me at Notre Dame. So again, you know, I, I tend to trust a guy like that. And that's a, a personal point too, but I, I do tend to trust, um, to trust him as much as uh, I don't know too much about his record. So. Right. And an endorsement from David French when it comes to, to a perspective uh, justice is a pretty big deal. <laughs> right, <laughs> least, I hate to defer. At least to me. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm here to talk about myself and my views, but I, sometimes I just have to defer to my um, my co-host on our own po- our own podcast and defer to him because he knows a lot more than I do about this. <laughs> right, right. So word on the street is that uh, Mitch McConnell has advised Trump uh, against nominating Barrett or Kavanaugh um, because he believes that he'd have um, you know trouble whipping the votes in his caucus. Um, obviously with John McCain... Uh, out of action right now, we only have 50 votes, um, might be able to pick up, you know, a Manchin or a Joe Donnelly on the Democratic side. But there's really not a, a large margin for error here, especially because senators like Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins, you know, are up to no good right now. <laughs> They've uh, been really liking the the grandstanding quite a lot. Um, so I, I don't know. On one side, I, I understand where McConnell's coming from. Um, they do want to get this in quick. They want it to be done before the midterm election. But I don't know, with this president, if you want to get him to do something, tell him he shouldn't do it. <laughs> so that almost makes me more confident that, uh, my, my, like you, I, I think that uh, Amy Coney Barrett would be 
certainly my pick if I were President Trump. Um, so that almost leads me to believe that uh, he might just pick Barrett uh, to say, hey, Mitch, you said I can't get it done. Watch. <laughs> you know, so he'll just pick the and most you know, controversial I, I wonder, candidate. What if McConnell here is gaming the system and saying, I know that whatever I tell Trump, he's not going to want to do. So I'm going to tell him the opposite of what I want him to do so that he will do what I actually secretly want him to do. Or you get into there's the eight dimensional chess move, right? <laughs> <laughs> Cocaine no, I, Mitch. I mean, who knows what, what Mitch is. Mitch is very much, from what I can tell, he's a pragmatist and he really just wants to get this person through the court. I don't see how, whoever it is, any one of these four, I think it's going to be a really ugly battle. I think, you know, the people on the left opposed to Trump are going to oppose all of them equally. It's really just a matter of which talking points they're going to use. It's a matter of which opinions they have to pick out, you know, little pieces from and claim that they hate the little guy or they hate the Constitution or, you know, whatever other insane thing they want to accuse them of. It's going to be bad no matter who it is. And and so I think if I'm Trump, I'm trying to figure out who I like the best, which person I trust the most um, to, to uh, judge in a constitutional originalist way. But again, you know, Trump thinks like he's a, he's a reality TV show host and he's not thinking probably the way I would be thinking if I were him. So it's hard to say. <laughs> right, right. And yeah, it, yeah, it's if we think the left is is dialed up to eleven now, after nine p.m. tonight, it's all hell is going to break loose. I mean, I, I'm I'm looking forward to who uh, who's the next Hitler because one of these four candidates will be Hitler for the next two months, you know, before they're confirmed, and that'll be just fun for everybody involved. But um, yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I you know, I, I agree that I I think these are all four great choices. I mean, I I won't be too upset, uh, whatever way President Trump decides to go tonight. Me too. And, and I think, you know, in terms of them being the next Hitler, I think that that's another part of why I almost do want him to pick Barrett, because I think, um, you know, it's just showcases a whole new level of hypocrisy on the left for them to, you know, you're always I and I say this as someone who pays a lot of attention to the, um, you know, hardcore left wing feminist types. But they're always talking about how it's so great. You know, female advancement is so important and we have to applaud women. We have to support women. And we have to elect women. That's how we get the country back on the right track. But to see a you know, perfectly qualified, capable um, female jurist be nominated in the types of slams that are going to come out against her. You know, she's going to be called a gender traitor. She'd be called, you know, uh, yeah, exactly. A traitor to, to her entire gender, a traitor to women, you know, harmful to women, worse for women than any of the men would have been all this sort of thing. I think it'll really be, um, they'll be forced to show their hand and it will not look, it'll not be a good look for them. I don't think. <laughs> I mean, one of the attacks on Barrett has literally been the number of children she has. She has seven children, which is not, I mean, she's Catholic and that's not, unusual <laughs> in Catholic families uh, to have, you know, a, a large family. So it's it's hilarious that they've already gone personal, not with her anything to do with her personality or her views or any of her rulings in the past, but just the fact she has seven children. That's why they don't like her. Yep. <laughs> it really isn't true. And, and even in some of the reporting, you know, they report on the male candidates and say, you know, has been a judge for however long or whatever. And then on uh, Barrett they say, you know, mother of seven who also publishes just the way she's described in reports as if this is her most defining characteristic. And I love it because I think it's normalizing. You know, I'm Catholic. I went to a school where probably the average number of kids in a family was five or six. Um, So it's definitely very normal to me. But I love seeing people trying to come to grips with this and understand that this is a way that people actually live. And hey, maybe it's not actually crazy. I don't know. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. I'm looking forward to tonight. And uh yeah, I, why don't why why doesn't news ever break before I record the podcast? My goodness, I don't know. Bad timing. Yeah, <laughs> I mean t- the timing is just incredible. I mean, we were recording a podcast. Actually, I think we had your colleague Jim Garrity on the show. We were recording the podcast when Steve Scalise was shot last year. 
Oh my goodness. So of course everything we talked about was completely irrelevant and nobody cared about right. the podcast because the news cycle changed. Man, we were recording the podcast when Space Force was announced. I'm like, man, I really wanted to. If I knew space, I would have pushed the podcast back a couple hours just so we could use the term Space Force a bunch. <laughs> Dig into that, yeah. <laughs> so I want to transition here to something that's been on my mind quite a bit and something you've been all over um, recently. Both both sides, the political right and left, do this. But uh, you know, I want to talk about our own house, our own side. We have a big problem in the conservative movement where folks seem to be elevating people to the status of thought leader when they are anything but a thought leader. <laughs> and we see it with, with commentators like Tommy Loren, um, who, who had this ridiculous tirade about how, you know, the Supreme Court shouldn't overturn Roe v. Wade, which, regardless of your, your thoughts on abortion, Roe v. Wade was a, a horrible, horribly argued case. I mean, it doesn't even make sense, um, and obviously should be, be uh, overturned. But you know, you see it with folks over at Turning Point USA, Candace Owens and Charlie Kirk and, and these types um, being elevated as if they are some kind of thought leader in the conservative movement. Why the hell does this keep happening and, and what do we do about it? You know, I it's a really hard thing to try and figure out where they all came from. I haven't been alive for really even all that long or into politics for all that long. But, uh, you know, when I was in high school, I went to Young America's Foundation conferences. And I think for the most part, they stay out of that kind of activism, but more and more on the right. Um, and you saw this at CPAC this year, too, I'd argue there's just been this kind of dumbing down of what conservatism is. And I think it was right. happening before Trump. But I think that sort of the Trump phenomenon and the Trump base have contributed to this, where we don't really talk about the Constitution, or if we do, it's in this sort of soundbite form. Um, or we even, you know, spread flat out falsehoods in order to get attention, because it's all about this sort of quote, owning the libs where, you know, if it makes the left angry, then we're doing it right. And if it doesn't make the left angry, then we're wasting our time. It's not, that's not really winning. That's not how we do it anymore. Uh, and I think it certainly is instigated by a lot of problems that do exist on the left and that I'd like to combat. But um, for young people in particular, I think it can be kind of an attractive mode of um, becoming engaged with the conservative movement. Because think about it, most of these kids are on college campuses surrounded by left-wing lunatics for the most part, you know, professors who shout them down, professors who don't let them talk in class, clubs and events always centered around the left, angry left-wing students, you know, Bernie Sanders supporters, of course, your kind of gut reaction is going to be, I want to punch back, right? And to me, I'd love to go in there and arm these kids with actual ideas. And I think a lot of the time groups like Turning Point probably do around the margins do some good. But when you have these public figures, whether with Turning Point or just other loud conservative fi figures who might pop up on Fox News, uh, just spreading misinformation or just kind of peddling these false talking points, you're actually doing a real disservice to the conservative movement and to young people who want substance and instead are just being kind of handed pitchforks. Um, it might be a little bit too strong of a way of putting it, but that's how it comes across sometimes to me. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And and like you said, I, I don't, I'm not saying Turning Point in USA should, should go away. I'm sure they do have some utility. Um, I, you know, within the conservative movement, they seem to be engaging with a lot of young people that aren't initiated into the conservative movement. And I'm sure they are doing some good work, you know, but when you get, when you think Charlie Kirk, who's, I don't know, 25 or something, and Candace Owens, who's in her 20s, and neither one seem to be that informed <laughs> on on very much. And, and when they're on Twitter and they're giving interviews, you know, misquoting the facts, getting the stats wrong, doing stuff like that, you're just giving the left ammo, you know, and, and we just, we can't elevate people that aren't 
equipped for battle, <laughs> right? As our as our representatives, that's just not it, you're helping the other side at that point. No, absolutely. And then the left can point to that, or even you know, kind of in the same way that they often point to Trump or some of Trump's lot of supporters who kind of you know Trump will change his position on something and people will come out and support him regardless of which. which side of the issue he's on as if he had never changed his mind. And then you can't really blame the left or moderates or independents when they say, this is conservatism now. You know, Donald Trump is Republicanism now. To a certain extent, yeah, he is. You know, he's the most public face of the Republican Party. And um, pe- the people at Turning Point or some of the commentators on Fox News are some of the loudest and most public voices claiming to advocate conservatism. And so we can't really escape that. But I, I mean, I would argue, and people will probably call me, you know, you know, an establishment NRO type, which may Maybe I don't consider myself establishment at all, but uh, people think National Review is jealous of kind of the new wave of the movement. I don't see it that way at all. I see us as doing totally different things. And I think what we're doing is trying to cultivate ideas that uh, are the same regardless of who's saying them, regardless of, you know, if Trump agrees with them or not. Conservatism stands for a certain set of objective things. And I don't think we should let that kind of shift with the breeze. I wish younger people, uh, more younger people were able to learn that kind of perspective. I mean, National Review and you know, in all fairness, I, I read National Review daily. I mean, I've been, I've been reading National Review since I was a teenager. I think, you know, NR has been pretty consistent for the last 60 years in regards to conservative principles. So I, um, I, I don't really blame Trump specifically for the rise of these Tommy Loren, Candace, Owen, Candace Owens types. I think I almost blame the left more than, than Trump personally because— they're so aggressively anti-Trump. People are screaming and yelling throughout the media, tearing Trump down. And so these people, all they have to do, if, if they're a young person and they're attractive or whatever and can put complete sentences together, they can just get on the Internet and carve out an audience from, like, Trump supporters or just young conservatives that are just starving for people their age, their peers, to not hammer Trump, essentially. So, like, they, they say, oh, okay, this this person's not hammering Trump. I'm 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 team I'm on their team you know when it's like wow there's a lot of other people um, you should be listening to you know it's just so easy on Twitter and and with these other platforms to kind of carve out your audience if you're if you're agreeing with people. No, that's absolutely true, and it it certainly does predate Trump. I mean, look at the Milo phenomenon that was largely pre-Trump, right, uh, right. and so I think Trump kind of stepped into a conservative movement that was already hungry for someone who would punch back and kind of became that candidate. And I think that's where he found his base, and a lot of these voices have become more prominent post-Trump simply because he's made space for that in the Republican Party and more, um, it's become more acceptable on the right. That's sort of a lot of CPAC, I'd argue, was that way this year, um, where there's just, it's kind of light on substance, light on discussion of principles and more about how are we going to make the left angry. Um, and, you know, if that descends into, you know, posting outright or publishing or saying at, in your talk, outright false information, that's a problem. I don't really, I understand we need, there's room for everybody. It's a big tent. We need to have different strategies. Not every conservative publication or conservative activist group should be Young America's Foundation or National Review. Obviously, there's room for all of it, but it shouldn't be, you know, lying. It shouldn't be or, you know, uh, being um, uninformed before you speak about, you know, I'm not going to say that everyone at Turning Point or all of these commentators are intentionally and maliciously lying, but clearly there's false information being used. There's a lot of just that rapid talking points where there should be substance. And I think that's really not helpful to anybody on the right. Yeah, I 100% agree. And uh, I'm 29 years old. Um, I don't know how, how old you are, but I, uh, like, I don't look towards my peers, my contemporaries as the thought leaders on the right. Like, I just don't. I, I think like 
Charles Krauthammer was a thought leader in the conservative movement. Thomas Sowell, who I believe is 88, is is a, a thought leader in the conservative movement. I think, I mean, the only person under 45 or 50 that I would consider an actual thought leader in, in the conservative movement would be Ben Shapiro. But he's an outlier. I mean, not, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's really tough to have read enough books and, and studied enough history and to accrue enough knowledge by age, I don't know how old Ben is, 35-ish, something like that. But that's it's very unusual to become wise by age 35. Like, it's, that's, he's an outlier. So I think people will see somebody that age and, as a thought leader, because I think he is a legitimate thought leader, and think, okay, well, I'm young, and I have an audience. I can be a thought leader, too. I mean, I hope to be a thought leader in the conservative movement by the time I'm 60. <laughs> you know, I might be able to get there in 30 years. Maybe, maybe not. But uh, it, it's weird. Like, I've never felt the need to look at my contemporaries for wisdom. You know, I, I'm perfectly happy to look to, you know, the generation before. You know, I, I wonder if that's kind of a flaw in, in people my age, you know, the older millennial types, that they're look, they, they want to see their peers as thought leaders or something like that. Sure. I do wonder about that. I mean, I'm 23 and it, w- it definitely wouldn't occur to me to think of somebody my age as a thought leader necessarily. But I do see the appeal, especially for college kids or p- kids just out of college who are conservative um, and they look around and feel kind of isolated. I mean, as a kid, I went to Notre Dame, and so I guess I wasn't really surrounded by um, that crazy of liberals most of the time. But I definitely do understand the appeal of seeing, look, there's other young people like me and people who can get attention for believing what I believe. That's kind of appealing. And to see that you can succeed and there's an outlet for it and there's an audience for what you believe to be true. I think, you know, given that so much of the media, Hollywood, the media and um, television, all, all this is dominated by the left. Um, it can be tempting to just kind of look to whatever loud voice you can find who's agreeing with you and, and make that your model. And I think that's where people like Charlie Kirk have really capitalized and found their niche. Um, but And people prefer that these days because it's winning or it's dominating the left to the crowd hammer model or the George Will model, which is actual, actual thought. You know, it's not, it's not so much about thought for young people. And probably, you know, on both sides of the aisle, I think that's true. And that's been true for longer than the last five years. Um, but it's sort of making a resurgence on the right, I guess, that young people want to hear the talking points and the loud, riled up speech about how, you know, quote, big government sucks would be one of the turning point um, slogans. That's what they want to <laughs> hear because that's what gets them excited. And I think to the extent that people kind of get hooked on the conservative movement through things like that, and as they get older, learn more, and maybe start reading more George Will and kind of flesh out their ideas and become more substantive conservatives, that could be a good thing. But I'd love it if we could do a little bit more of the latter on the front end um, as they get into the movement. Right, right. And to everybody listening, yes, big government sucks. And to explain why, get off of Charlie Kirk's Twitter feed and read Basic Economics by Thomas Sowell. You're going to learn a lot more. <laughs> You're going to learn a lot more there than you are following somebody like Charlie Kirk on Twitter. Before I let you go, I just want to talk about one more thing. Um, and it's something you guys deal with all the time at National Review. And uh, is the just the concept of punching right. You know, going after your own side. Um, I think National Review's been pretty fair. Um, they, they, you know, there are yeah, I, there have been certain writers for National Review that that I've thought with the Trump stuff have taken it a little too far, but not often. Um, I'm I did vote for Trump reluctantly, and I've actually been pretty happy overall. I mean, tariffs aside and some other things aside, um, with with Trump's presidency. But you know, with with you as a writer and me as a, a commentator, like I, I'm constantly wrestling with how hard, how often, and when and how to go after my own side, to go after Trump. You know, I, I feel like I'm pretty fair to the president. I, I try to call 
balls and strikes the best I can. And yeah, but it, it's constantly something I wrestle with. I, I've gotten, I mean, I've gotten hate mail for, uh, for punching right too much and for not punching right enough, you know, and that's probably one of those two are, are two of the biggest criticisms of the show. Um, you know, it depends on the, the perspective of the listener, but you know, is that something you kind of wrestle with in your writing and, and kind of how do we navigate that? No, it absolutely is. And I started at national review exactly, um, two years ago this week, actually. And it was just before Trump uh, won the nomination. And I really didn't like Trump. A lot of people on National Review obviously didn't like Trump, still don't really like Trump. Um, but, you know, I'm happy to praise the good things that he's done. You know, talking about Trump specifically, I wrote a, a long magazine feature piece about um, his relationship with the pro-life movement and how that's largely been a, a success, policy speaking, policy-wise at least. Uh, so I'm happy to call balls and strikes. And I think a lot of us are, but it's been, uh, you know, I bring up the time that I've been here just to say, I think it's been a particularly difficult time for people on the right in finding this balance because you, uh, we do want to get things done. We do want to get the policies that we favor in place. And I'm happy to work with people that I don't agree with on everything to make that happen. Uh, but I think for me, it becomes a question of what are the issues where we need to draw the line? What are the things where I'm not going to stray from principle? And we have to be willing to acknowledge when people on our, are on our own side are actually doing a disservice to our views. And that's why, you know, I'll say things about Turning Point USA, just again, to use the example we've been talking about, but there's a lot of this on the right, where I think when people supported Roy Moore, for example, I was very vocal about that. I thought that was a huge mistake. And I think that Oof. does a disservice to the right to support oh, yeah. somebody like that. And David and I um, talk about problems on the right a lot on our podcast um, because it matters. And the, the attacks on conservatism do not only come from the left. And I think it's a, a very reductive viewpoint to say that if you ever attack anybody who's even remotely on your own side or claims to be on the right, you're helping the left. Well, no, you're not. If you're if you allow views or people to stay on your side that are, you know, uh, heinous, that people are believing or doing heinous things and saying that they're on the right and you don't say anything because it might help the left. I think you're actually hurting yourself a lot. You're certainly not doing any favors for the truth or for what's right. Um, but in the end, that's terrible for conservatism as well. And we have to be willing to call that sort of thing out. Yeah, I mean, if pedophilia isn't crossing the line, I, I really don't know. Like, what, <laughs> I, mean, I don't know I what you... to the worst example, but there's more. There's some gray area issues probably I could have brought up as well, but right. that's I, just one that comes to mind. <laughs> I, I think my biggest fear, just as a commentator, would be to become a Sean Hannity or on the other side, a Bill Crystal, where you're just a blind witness. <laughs> one way or the other, you're so you're blinded by your love or disdain for one man. To where you you you've just you have your blinders on. You can't see facts or reason or logic or common sense at all. And so I, we're all kind of trying to find that middle ground between Sean Hannity and, <laughs> and Bill Crystal. I guess I guess that might be a fair uh, way to put my struggle. I guess I I, I think and I want to get your opinion on this. I think there is certain times that like it's responsible to refrain from punching right. And I've used this example before. I've had a, a friend of mine, Ron Johns, who runs the Conservatory, and he covers politics out here in Ohio, where I'm from. And I've had him on the show a couple times. And uh, I had him on right before the Ohio primary in early May. And uh, Mike DeWine, former senator and current AG of Ohio, who's now the Republican nominee for governor, he was just going crazy against Mike DeWine because he's got a B instead of an A from the NRA, and he did, he did, he signed this one thing as a senator that wasn't conservative enough. I'm like, dude, the two Democratic uh, candidates in the Democratic primary are uh, Richard Cordray, the socialist, former Barack Obama uh, uh, cabinet member, I believe, 
And Dennis Kucinich, who, when he was in the House of Representatives, his claim to fame was being the farthest left member of the government. So I'm like, okay, all right. Once Mike DeWine's governor, I'd be happy to nitpick his record with you, but let's make sure Ohio doesn't elect a communist first. <laughs> you know, like, when you're looking at the, the other side, I was like, I really can't, I, I can't spend any time knocking Mike DeWine. It's like, that was kind of like... I do kind of run into situations sometimes where I'm like, all right, I, I don't see value in nitpicking the right when there's, I mean, literally a socialist running against them. You know, so is there, does that make any sense? Do you think there is time to kind of refrain from punching right? No, I do. And you're definitely onto something important. I just think um, that where we draw the line is the question. That's obviously where all the disagreement has fallen because a similar argument right. to what you just said is exactly why people were really angry with David French at all for not supporting Trump and saying, well, if you're not supporting Trump, then you're supporting Hillary Clinton. That's clearly not true, right? That's but there's true. a difference between the David French um, complaints about Donald Trump and the you know nitpicking over Mike DeWine's B rating from the NRA. Those are very different, substantively right, different right, right. things. Right. And so I think you know we can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Um, but we also, there are certain, I think, core things, um, and we probably will all disagree on what those are, but I think for the most part conservatives can agree on a set of core standards that we have about what it is to be conservative and we shouldn't allow anyone um to abridge those or to you know trespass, trespass those i guess uh, but outside of that nitpicking yeah certainly it's not very productive when you're running against a socialist to be <laughs> to be nitpicking right. NRA rating I, I will agree with you there for sure <laughs> right right and david french is an extremely principled guy i i don't really understand the attacks on him one bit and well i, I used to stand in for the you know the kind of the general anti-trump movement Right, but, right. Yeah. Yeah. And National Review, it's weird because you guys have uh, your your team has a lot of varying opinions and lots of different things. It's uh, National Review is not a monolith <laughs> thought wise. So I don't right. And you nor know, does a lot conservatism of the... need to be. Right. No, it, no, of course. It should and be that way. You guys get a bad rap from the hardcore Trumpsters and for basically no reason. I mean, uh, I believe Jonah Goldberg said on his podcast uh, the other day or maybe last week, he's like, look, if I lived in Ohio. I might have voted for Trump, you know, He's, but I live in D.C. and my vote doesn't matter at the top of the ticket. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I hope people are paying attention and stop just berating the guy for no reason. <laughs> they won't. Let me. They won't. <laughs> of course not. Of course not. Well, I'll let you go. I know you have a hard out here. Um, busy day over at the office for you guys. Um, where can everybody find you online? Where can everybody listen to your podcast? And where can everybody find your work at National Review? So my work, nationalreview.com slash author slash alexandra hyphen DeSanctis, so you can just google me a national review on my author page uh, i'm on twitter at zan underscore DeSanctis. that's x-a-n underscore DeSanctis. Uh, and my podcast is called ordered liberty with david french um, and we you can find that on itunes or wherever else you listen to podcasts everybody check it out everybody follow Ex alexandra she's great and uh we definitely have to have her back on this was a really really fun time i enjoyed it and it's uh, been a pleasure. yeah thank you Absolutely. And thanks for everybody for tuning in. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Wednesday. No gimmicks. Um.